See, people say silence is golden. No, it's not. It's weird and awkward. Or at least that's how we perceive it. That's how it seems to most of us. We don't know what to do with silence. We don't know how to handle it. I have an older brother who lives in Texas, and he's a sports radio broadcaster. So I was talking to him over Thanksgiving, and I said, hey, what happens when a radio station has silence, when there's radio silence? He said, oh, man, people freak out. They hate it. They'll do whatever they can to end the silence. They'll be flipping switches, pushing buttons, pulling out cords. Uh, They try to get anyone on the mic, anyone that they can to just fill that void, fill that emptiness, fill that silence, because if they don't, people will change the station. Radio silence is death to a radio station. And I think if we were honest, that's how most of us view silence. We just need to fill it, just need to fill it, just need to fill it with some stuff, with some words. And that's usually when we get what I call foot and mouth disease. Any sufferers of foot and mouth disease? Come on now, let's be real. I, I am inundated with this. I'm really good at this. There will be awkward silence, some time of quiet, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I'm like, oh, I just say some stuff. And I usually say something incredibly dumb. And that's when foot inserts into mouth. We don't know what to do with silence But silence is not a bad thing. Biblically speaking, silence actually brings focus. When I was in college, in my early days of college, I remember I used to take what I called dogs, D-A-W-G. stood for day alone with God. And on the weekends, I would just go, in Colorado at the time where I went to school, I'd go into the mountains, go for a hike, go for a walk, and just spend most of the day with the Lord. I would grab my Bible, grab my journal, I'd grab my Walkman, (laughs) <laughs> you don't know what a Walkman is. So music used to be played on cassette tapes. It's crazy times. Talk to your parents. Anyway, so I'd grab my Bible, my journal, my Walkman, and I would just worship and pray and seek the Lord in his presence and just delight in him and listening to what he had for me. And my soul felt so refreshed. And if I could be honest with you for a minute, if I can be a little vulnerable, I have gotten away from that. I don't practice silence and solitude in my life with the Lord like I want to and like I need to. And so really, when I'm preaching this message, I'm telling you right now, I'm preaching it primarily to myself. In fact, the whole point this morning in the passage we're looking at today is this. This is the main idea. Our souls need to be refreshed by time alone with the Lord. Our souls need to be refreshed by time alone with the Lord. Turn to the gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, it's the second book of the the New Testament, and throughout the book of Mark, there is this subtle and yet crucial word to understand, and it's the word immediately. Mark says over and over throughout his gospel, 40 times in fact, and in just chapter 1, he says it 11 times, so much so that scholars call the Gospel of Mark the gospel of immediacy. I mean, you look at chapter 1, and it says how Mark is just basically, he's expressing how Jesus went from one activity in ministry to another, to another, to another, at a frenetic pace, at a constant pace. There's no delay here. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so, Jesus, there was urgency in his kingdom work. I mean, look at chapter 1. It says, immediately, Jesus was being baptized. 
Then immediately he's led away into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. Then immediately he's preaching the gospel. Then immediately he's calling the disciples to follow him. Then immediately he's teaching in the synagogues. And a man comes up to him who has a demon, and immediately he casts out the demon. Then immediately news of Jesus spreads like wildfire in that region. And immediately someone tells Jesus of Peter's mother-in-law who is sick and is in need of healing. So immediately he goes and heals her. He's going from one thing to another to another. Needless to say, anyone would be exhausted after non-stop ministry activity like this. And some of you can relate. You are doing life at a frantic, constant pace, going from one thing to another thing to another to another with no downtime, no respite. And usually after a long day, we're able to find rest on the couch. We can read a book or watch TV. We don't see that here with Jesus. Look at chapter 1, verse 32. That evening at sundown, after a long day of ministry, by the way, from sunup to sundown, that evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So that evening, the whole city, like imagine the entire city of Cedar Lake coming to your door. The whole city gathered at the door of Jesus seeking healing from him. And I sincerely doubt that there was like an orderly triage to accommodate all the requests in a timely manner. Right? We don't know how this was handled, but a massive group of people came to Jesus with heavy needs. Now, did Jesus deny them? No. It says, look at the text, he healed many and cast out many demons. And you look in the context, he could have snapped his finger, he could have said one word, and instantly hundreds of people would have been healed, but that's not the gist of the, the text. It it gives this connotation that likely he did it on a case-by-case basis, one-by-one, healing each of these people. How long did this go on? Again, we don't know, but it's possible this happened late into the night. And so it would be understandable if Jesus, undoubtedly exhausted, wanted to sleep in, right? If he went to his disciples and said, hey, listen, fellas, whew, it was a long day you're exhausted, I'm exhausted, we're tired, let's just sleep in tomorrow. Just don't set your alarm, let's just sleep as late as we can. That's not what happens though. Look at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This verse is actually the crux of this passage. No verse is in Scripture by accident. Not a single verse is in the Bible by accident. And so there are very real, tangible, applicable truths that we see in this verse. So let's break it down. It says, and Jesus rising very early, or in the Greek, exceedingly early in the morning. Now, how early is exceedingly early? Well, I'm not a morning person, so this is like 6 a.m. for me. For many of you, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., that is sleeping in. We don't know how early, but it says while it was still dark. It was nighttime. So presumably, I think this was, this is just conjecturing, I think it was around 2 to 4 a.m. Jesus wakes up exceedingly early. 
And he doesn't have to wake up early, so why would he? Because he wants to. Because he needs to. When you have had a long day and you are exhausted, you are worn out, and you have the option to sleep longer, but you intentionally wake up super early, you don't do that unless you want to. And Jesus wanted to. There's a kind of a little-known ministry at Bethel called F3. Some of you guys might be in this ministry. It's a group of guys that meet at Bethel Crown Point, I think Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. Uh, There's another group in St. John. There's another group in Highland. And these guys work out together, and it's a vigorous workout for about 45 minutes to an hour. And they do prayer together. They encourage one another. Sometimes they do devotionals. They hold each other accountable. It's awesome. Awesome ministry. And I've had a few of the guys try to get me to come. They're like, man, you got to come check this out. And I said, yeah, I will. I will. Eventually, I will. But there's a fourth F. See, the three Fs stand for faith, fellowship, and fitness. There's a fourth F, and it's 5.30 in the morning. And sometimes I'll have a ministry event or a meeting at church, and I'll see these guys wrapping up their, their, their workout routine. And I'm just in awe. I'm like, man, these guys are just awesome. I mean, they are doing push-ups and pull-ups, and they're running for miles, and they're doing jumping jacks, and they're flipping tires for some reason. And I look at them, I'm like, why? Why would anyone get up super early to work out? Simply this, value. Value. They value faith, they value fellowship, and they value fitness. Why would Jesus intentionally wake up exceedingly early? Value. He valued time alone with the Father, and people will always, listen, people will always do what they value. And we might say, well, I don't have time to spend with God. Yes, you do. Make time. Wake up before others wake up. Yeah, but my family wakes up so early. My spouse, my kids, they wake up so early. Then wake up earlier. And if that's not an option, if you don't want to sacrifice sleep, I get that. Change up your evening routine. Forego other things, TV, videos, social media, whatever the case may be. Forego those other things to spend time with the Lord. I guarantee you no one is in heaven going, oh, can't believe I missed the 19th season of Grey's Anatomy. Oh, nobody cares. You know why nobody cares? Because when you're in the presence of Jesus, nothing else matters. No one else matters. Who can compare to the awesome, glorious, splendid, magnificent majesty of Jesus? Amen? Amen. Nothing and no one else matters. We will gladly forego the things of lesser value for the thing of the one of utmost value. So maybe we need to forego other things and change up our routine. Talk to your spouse about changing up your daily schedule to accommodate time with God. And if they're not understanding, pray for understanding. Honeydews never stop, right? Amen? (laughs) Honeydews never stop. Our list of honeydews, dishes and laundry, and I got to do dinner, and the list goes on and on. Listen, spend time with God first. I promise those responsibilities will be there afterward. And they will get done eventually. Share the load of household chores to allow each other to have that time. Fathers, take your kids periodically so mom can have some time with the Lord. And all the moms said, 
Thank you, wife of mine. <laughs> Moms, do likewise. Parents, if it means, listen to me, if it means sacrificing time with the Lord, you don't have to have your kids in every activity. Kids are busy these days. They got t-ball, French class, uh, debate team, uh, volleyball, Boy Scouts, ballet, gymnastics, choir, band. They're just super busy. And there's nothing wrong with those things unless they get in the way of devotion to the Lord, yours or your family's. Change up the way you do things. Parents with young kids, when your kids are napping or having their own quiet time, first of all, amen, hallelujah, right? We have two little girls. I know that is a rare and precious commodity. Quiet. Use that quiet time with the Lord. It may be the only quiet you have all day. Single parents, all this may seem daunting and unrealistic. God understands. Be creative. As you're doing the dishes, as you're in the shower, as you're on your way to work, turn the radio off and just spend time in quiet with the Lord in prayer and meditating on Scripture. Find time as you are able. Call on friends to help you. Be creative. Susanna Wesley was the mother of John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church in the 1700s. Very deeply pious, righteous, holy guy. Just loved the Lord, sought the Lord's presence. Incredible man of God. And he learned all that from his mom, Susanna. And John was one of 19 kids. You think you have a busy household. 19 children. And it is said that Susanna, kids are running all over her house. Susanna would be doing the chores and she would just stop periodically. She'd grab her Bible and she'd take her long apron and drape it over her head with her Bible. And all the kids knew when she was in this, she called it the tent of meeting. When she was in the tent of meeting, you don't bother mama. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And she was just spending time with God. She didn't have time to spend with God. She certainly didn't have a place to spend with, with God. And so she made one. Be creative. Oswald Chambers wrote this, no one has time to pray. We have to take time from other things in order to understand how necessary prayer is. Luke 6.12, it says that Jesus went out to a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. And this is after ministering all day. So all day he's ministering, and then he spends all night with the Father. Now we might say, oh yeah, well, Sure, he's Jesus, he's the Son of God. Exactly. If the Son of God felt that he needed to spend copious amounts of time with the Father, who are we to think that we don't need to? We need time with God. And relationships take time. You cannot microwave your relationship with God. I need time to hear the Father's heart, and I need time to express my heart to the Father. Maybe we need to pray, Lord, give us eyes to see what is supreme in this life, namely you. And if our time on this earth is limited, please, Lord, don't ever let us waste it. Value time with God. Treasure it. View it as indispensable. Jesus certainly did. And so, verse 35, he wakes up exceedingly early. 
And then it says, and he departed and went out to a desolate place. Not only did Jesus get up early to ensure time alone with the Father, but he doubles down and goes into a desolate place, literally in the Greek, an uninhabited place. Why an uninhabited place? Jesus not only valued time with the Father, he wanted to be alone with the Father without any distractions so that he could focus solely on him. Our world is a cacophony of distractions. Back in the day, before the advent of flat screen TVs, you know, these little thin HD TVs, back in the day, do you remember those big boxy TVs when TVs were like this big? If you wanted to move on to the other side of the room, you had to call two or three of your buffest buddies like, lifting this thing. They were heavy. I mean, these were heavy-duty, big TVs. And when you were flipping through the stations, if you came to a station that you did not have, this is what came up. And it sounded like this. Remember that? Static. What is the purpose of static? Is it just filling dead space with nothing? No, actually quite the opposite. I didn't realize this. Static is the presence of so much stuff. It's a confluence of atmospheric sources of noise, electromagnetic signals, cosmic microwave radiation, and localized radio waves from nearby electronic devices, all converging, causing the characteristic display of static. Friends, listen, our world is not tranquil. Our world is not quiet. It is not silent. It is static. There is so much noise in our society. Our culture is loud. And this season, this month, might be the most staticky of all. We have Christmas parties and now upcoming New Year's Eve parties. We have gift shopping, gift wrapping. We have put up trees, put up decorations, take down the trees, take down the decorations, put up lights, send out cards, receive cards, host friends, host families. And it's just uh, exhausting, right? Doesn't it it not sometimes feel like our life is like a bunch of pop-up ads? You know, pop-up ads where debt consolidation in three steps and you close that and then two more pop up. You won't believe this, what this celebrity said about this celebrity. And then you close those and four more pop up. Male pattern baldness, eliminate it with this weird cream. And so you eliminate all these pop-up ads and more and more pop up. We are inundated with noise, inundated with loudness, with stuff in life. Take some downtime from the noise, Jesus did. You cannot focus on God in the midst of static There's a neurosurgeon, John Medina, who wrote a book called Brain Rules, fantastic, fascinating book. And in this book, he says, when it comes to the brain's ability to pay attention, the brain actually focuses on concepts sequentially and not on two things at once. In fact, the brain must disengage from one activity in order to engage in another, and it takes several tenths of a second for the brain to make this switch. We are biologically incapable of processing attention-rich inputs simultaneously. Studies show that a person who is interrupted takes 50% longer to accomplish a task. Do you know what he's saying? If you feel like you're a good multitasker, you're actually not. Nobody is. We, we literally cannot multitask. Now, we can walk and chew gum, but two attention-rich activities at the same time, where it's impossible to do them at the same time simultaneously. Our brain wasn't designed that way. It's like God designed our brain 
to focus, to focus at one thing at a time, but we try to do all these things all at once simultaneously. I don't know how many of you have an iPhone, but if you've downloaded the most recent update, there's this new setting on there called what? Screen time. Have you seen this? The screen time every week gives you an update of how much time you spent on your phone in the last seven days. It tells you how much time on each app, how much time each day. And I don't know about you, but I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's a lot of time on my phone. That's a lot of noise. That's a lot of time of distraction. And what's fascinating is that basically even Apple is telling us, hey, you know what? You might want to back off from using our product. Use it a little bit less. If you're on it all the time, it might be kind of hazardous to you. Apple is telling us that. Maybe we should listen. Perhaps Jesus understood the need to eliminate noise. View silence as a gift. There's a reason Jesus left to a desolate place so we could spend time in silence with the Father. And so for a time, turn off your phone. Get away from possessions. Get away from people. Find a quiet, tranquil place and just spend time with God. Value times of silence with God. When you eliminate the noise and other voices in this world, you focus on the only voice that supremely matters. And that's what Jesus does. Look at verse 36. And so Simon, Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, well, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus' disciples were saying, Jesus, where have you been? Everyone is looking for you. You are in the prime of your ministry. I mean, you are healing people, and people are flocking to you. You're there coming by the hundreds, by the thousands to hear what you have for them, to have their physical needs and their spiritual needs met, and you just leave in the prime of life, and you didn't even leave a note, which I think is hilarious, by the way. Jesus did not even tell his disciples where he would be. They had to vigorously search for him. And he doesn't apologize for that, not because he's being discourteous, but because he is demonstrating the priority of spending time with the Father above every other priority. This isn't the only time Jesus withdraws from people to spend time with the Father. In Mark 6, Jesus feeds thousands of people with basically a happy meal. And the people take notice and they crowd in around Jesus, but he dismisses the crowd and withdraws away by himself to pray. In Luke 5, news of Jesus spreads rapidly. And great crowds gathered in around Jesus to heal him, hear him and to be healed. They were coming with great physical needs and great spiritual needs. Now, we would love this, right? This would be exciting. This is the makings of a mega church. Great crowds, high attendance, people desiring to hear the gospel, abounding ministry opportunities, people needing assistance. Jesus was constantly swarmed with these things. But the text says, but Jesus would often withdraw to pray. 
See, when needs pile up, we try to tackle them all until our battery is drained. Let me get all these things done first, Lord, and then I will spend time with you. Not so with Jesus. He's saying, I need to spend time with the Father now. I've never been much of a, a handyman. I can usually do some basic projects around the house. So earlier this year, I was really proud of myself. I was putting up shelves. I'm putting up the brackets, right? <laughs> putting in the screws. <laughs> Had a little hand drill, power drill, cordless drill, and putting in the, drill, in, the, in the screws in the bracket, then I put the shelf on top, put in all the screws. I get to the last screw, and it does this. No! Have you ever had that happen? You're on the last screw. And I'm like, ah, why now? And so instead of charging up the drill for an hour or going to get a Phillips head hand screwdriver, I literally take this power drill and turn it like a hand screwdriver. You ever done that? That's ludicrous, right? That's absurd. I'm not allowing the power drill to operate as it was designed, namely with power. And we laugh, but that's, that's what we do. We get to the end of our rope. Our batteries are drained. We have nothing left to offer. And instead of unplugging and spending time with God to recharge our spiritual batteries, we press on and we push forward and try to do more and more and more without him. We are not operating according to the way in which we were designed, namely to seek him and spend time with him. Time with God recharges our spiritual batteries because we have no power on our own. Demands from people do not supersede the demand to spend time with the Lord. Donald Whitney says, solitude is not a spiritual discipline. It's actually the context for practicing the disciplines. It is simply putting yourself in situations where you can be alone with God. Like I said, I'm trying to, to practice this better. And so about a month ago, I got up early and uh, the house is quiet. And so I got a cup of coffee. I got my Bible, got a journal, and I went downstairs into our basement. And I was sitting on the couch, just enjoying time with the Lord, abiding in Christ. And it was it was great, and as I'm doing so, we live in an older house, so you can hear all the creaks of the wood, you know what I mean? And I heard this tick, 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 upstairs, and I knew exactly what it was. Down comes our four-year-old daughter, and she runs up to me on the couch. She plops down, and she lifts up her, my arm like this, and she nuzzles under, rests her head right here, and she goes, good morning, Daddy. What are you doing, Daddy? I love you, Daddy. <laughs> Some of the best distractions are the cutest, by the way. And so I said, well, sweetie, um, I'm spending time with God. And you're being a distraction. Go away. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Uh, that would be called bad fatherhood. No, I didn't do that. So I went, well, sweetie, um, I'm spending time with God. Can you give me a few minutes? And she hung her head totally dejected. She starts walking away like this. I could just picture like Charlie Brown, like, wah, wah, wah. She just starts walking away all, all sullen. And I had this moment of clarity by the grace of God, truly by the grace of God, I believe, where I said, I started thinking, wait, if she walks away now, it might develop this notion that God is that one who robs me of time with my daddy. And so I said, wait, 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 sweetie, come back. 
she came back on the couch and sat next to me and I said, honey, you know how sometimes, sometimes daddy can get frustrated and angry and raise his voice? She's like, oh yeah, all the time. I'm, Whoa, okay, wait. <laughs> you don't need to agree so quickly. I said, um, that's not who I am anymore. That's the old daddy. I don't, I don't like the old daddy. The old daddy keeps trying to pop up and creep into my life, but Jesus on the cross crucified the old daddy. He was doing away with the old daddy. When I trusted in what Jesus has done for me, the old daddy is being done away with. He's eliminating the old daddy. I don't like the old daddy. I hate the old daddy. And she goes, yeah, I don't like that either. I said, but the new daddy, oh, I love the new daddy. The new daddy is being conformed in the image of Jesus. He's being made more and more like Jesus. And the man of God that God has created me to be, he's kinder and loving and patient and merciful and gracious. I love the new daddy that Jesus is making me into. She goes, yeah, I love the new daddy. So when I spend time with God, when I spend time abiding in Jesus, he's doing away with the old daddy. And he's making me into this New daddy, more and more. He's making me a better daddy, a better person. She sits silently for a few seconds. You can see the wheels turning in her little four-year-old mind. She goes, huh. I think you need all the time with God you can get. She walks away. Oh. Thanks? See, God's love allows me to love her as I should. Only God's love, only time with the Lord makes me a better person, makes me a better daddy. And so when this world becomes overwhelming, get get alone with the Father. When fear suffocates you, get alone with the Father. When stress and anxiety are just crashing in all around you and you feel like you are drowning, get away with the Father. When times are tough, get alone with the Father. When your schedule is just too busy, get alone with the Father. We cannot do anything well, anything to our fullest potential until we are soaked in the presence of God. And so value time with God. Value times of silence with God, but next, value times of solitude with God. Undistracted, focused time with Him. So Jesus wakes up super early He gets away to an uninhabited place, and then, most importantly, verse 35, it says, and there he prayed. You know, Jesus exhorts us to find a place to pray. In Matthew 6, 6, it says, but when, Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Jesus practiced the discipline of praying in particular places. In Luke twenty two thirty nine, 39, it says, as was his custom, Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives to spend time with the Father. Jesus had a custom, he had a routine of scheduled time with the Father. How else did Judas know where he would be in order to betray him? He, he washed his routine, he washed his custom, his schedule. And if we want to live like Jesus did, we must pray like Jesus did. So schedule solitude with the Father. Make it part of your daily routine your daily custom. Literally, block it out on your daily schedule. If you use a calendar app or if you have a notebook, block it out on your schedule. Parents of young children, your custom may 
constantly change, constantly adapt with hectic times every single day. Listen, it doesn't have to be a long time, but strive to plan those times because you will not practice what you do not plan. Martin Luther once said, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours today in prayer. Man, that is admirable. He's saying, I am so busy today, I just can't spend two hours with the Lord like I usually do. Better make it three. Oh, that is awesome, but we don't, that's not how we think. We tend to go, Lord, I am so busy. You know what, let me just see if I can squeeze you in for 10 minutes this afternoon. Squeeze the God of the universe into our schedule. No, we have to carve out time to meet with God. So plan time to seek his face every day and schedule everything else around that. Make that time non-negotiable. So value time with God. Value silent time with God, solitude time with God, and lastly, value scheduled time with God. Every day, every week, every month, every year, find some time. Value time with God. As we close, we need to think about this. What, what should you do in silence and solitude with the Lord? What does that look like? Well, first, unplug and quiet your heart. David Mathis, in his book, Habits of Grace, says it this way, and I just love this. He says, let your soul thaw from the frenzy of life. Anyone else just feel frozen by life? Just seized up by a life? The busyness, the hectic, just things crowding in around you. Just quiet your heart, melt in God's presence, and let your soul thaw from the frenzy of life. Just be. And in that time, pray. Read your Bible. Meditate on Scripture. Dwell on thoughts of God. Worship and don't, don't do these things to just have more activity. Don't do these things as a checklist. Don't do these things to be task-oriented. See these things as a means to an end. The end is knowing Christ more and loving Christ more and pointing people to him and just abiding with him, just being with him. Simply enjoy God's presence because the goal is to just be with the Lord. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask? King David in the Psalms was posed this question. He was easily the greatest king in Israel's history. In fact, he was known as a man after God's own what? Heart. And in Psalm 27, 4, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, one thing, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that I may gaze upon his beauty and seek him in the Lord's temple. He was asked, if you could just have one thing from God, what would you want? He said, oh, that's easy. I just want more of God. I want more of his presence. Yes, God is all present. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. But I, I just want to seek him. I just want more of him. I, I need, I crave abiding in him. I crave being with him. I just want him. I just want his presence. Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. I just want more of God. 
Oh, how I wish we would be obsessed and passionate in 2019 to just have more and more time with God. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're just going to have a time of silent prayer. As David plays, you know, softly in the background, we're just going to have a time of prayer and in silence and solitude, seek the Lord. Maybe open up scripture, find a few verses, read them, meditate on them. That means chew on them. Really get all the juices out of them. Pray, dwell on thoughts of God. But let's just spend time with God for the next few minutes right now.